The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. There's a man in the Old Testament named Nehemiah, and he at one point says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, would you say, as you look upon your life, that that's your strength? If you, are, if you are a follower of Christ, if you believe Jesus is Lord, would you say that that's a good picture of the way you do life? That the joy of the Lord is your strength as you walk around when you wake up in the morning? Ding! Is it the joy of the Lord is my strength? Or when you wake up in the morning, is it eh, 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 eh? Do you experience the joy of the Lord as you're stuck in traffic on the way to work? Do you experience the joy of the Lord when your boss says, hey, I'm going to have to ask you to to work on Saturday? Yeah. (laughs) Do you experience the joy of the Lord when your kids ask you to play Candyland again for the seventh time? Is there still, do people look at you and you say, that person has the joy of the Lord? Or do people look at you perhaps more and say, that person has issues? I mean, just kind of being honest here. What is your response? What is your reaction to that? We've been talking about holiness this whole year, this idea that God is inviting us to, to be holy as He is holy. And so what if, it, what if there's a significant measurement of holiness that is connected to the joy that we experience in life? If so, if that's a reasonable measurement of holiness, how is your joyometer right now? This week, this month, how's your joyometer? Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about a section of this, this whole shebang story called the exile, which represents the second half of the Old Testament. And we've been looking at the fact that, that the people of God seem to respond to God somewhat like teenagers here in this stage of the journey. Kind of like rebellious teenagers. Then in the second half of the Old Testament, the kings uh, after Solomon are continuously saying, God, I'm not interested in your ways. I want to do things my way. You don't know what you're talking about. I know what I'm talking about. Step out of the way. And God allows them to experience the consequences of their decisions, of their choices, and they get exiled. They get kicked out of their promised land. They get kicked out of Jerusalem. They're kind of acting like rebellious teenagers. And I don't know about you and your experience, but it seems to me that if there's any age group that, that seems to understand joy the best or the most or the easiest, an age group that knows how to have fun, it's teenagers. I mean, teenagers kind of know how to have fun, sometimes at the expense of getting other things done. Know how to have fun. When I was a, a, a teenager... A car was not a mode of transportation. It was a six-cylinder party is what it was. That's what a car became. This was my first car. This is a 1976 Pontiac Ventura. It's a beautiful tritone with the blue on the top, the white, and then the little uh, brown row on the bottom there. And, And I remember, I look at the door handle on that car, and I remember working that handle and the joy of of getting into that so that I could drive. And the experience of driving was such a joy as a teenager compared to what it is is today. 
There was one point where uh, the, the rear bumper, just you can see just the, the, the tip of it on the edge there. There was one point where I was in the parking lot and my bumper got clipped by another car. I can't remember exactly what happened, but I know the insurance wasn't involved, and, and, but my bumper got clipped. And these aren't like the new bumpers where you tap them and then they shatter on the ground in plastic and then it costs $5,000 to fix them. This is an old bumper where it was a chunk of steel. It was a big chunk of metal, and it got clipped, and about a foot and a half or maybe two feet bent out. I mean, the whole thing was just doing, was, was bent out, this chunk of metal. And so, you know, metal poking out, I realized I needed to do something about it. Now, an adult would have that replaced or repaired. That's what an adult would do. A teenager would fill the car with his buddies, find a sturdy telephone pole, set myself up in front of the telephone pole, and then bang up against it in order to straighten the uh, pumper one, one piece at a time. I'm not saying I did that. Okay, I'm saying I did that. Uh, I mean, that was a party. Wait, now, for those of you who are just learning how to drive, do not take church as a learning place for that whole piece here. Okay, I'm not recommending it. That was at a time when I was not pursuing holiness uh, as much as much as hopefully I am today. But we, I knew how to have fun as a teenager. Let me give you another little, little tiny example. Just last week over spring break, my family and I uh, went to Flagstaff for some skiing, and I ski very differently now than I did when I was a teenager. I'm snowboarding now, and I'm a very cautious snowboarder. And I'm very careful because I know that when I fall, it hurts a lot. And I fell once, uh, one kind of big fall, and and uh, bang, my, uh, my neck and my back. And right when it happened, I thought, I'm going to feel that one. And I did. I felt it for days. When I was a teenager, we'd get together your friends, you'd go skiing. You never thought for a second about any muscle in your body or any bone in your body. you just, woo! Just doing the whole thing. I mean, teenagers know how to have fun. They know how to experience joy in life. Nehemiah, a long time ago, said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So what I want to look at today is the context of Nehemiah saying that. So I invite you to turn there with me if you brought your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah, you'll find, if you have a physical Bible uh, uh, with pages, it's about in the middle of the Old Testament story. It's about in the middle of the Old Testament story which I want to explain for a moment why it's found there, even though the story of Nehemiah is actually at the end of the Old Testament story. So today we are wrapping up our journey through the Old Testament part of the whole shebang. Next, year, next week is Easter, and then we're going to look into the Messiah and the New Testament scriptures. So today we're actually at the end where Nehemiah is returning uh, from exile, kind of at the end of the exile story. And the reason that's found in the middle of the Old Testament is that the Old Testament runs this way. It tells the overall story first, the story of what we've been calling the exodus, the rise of the nation of Israel, and then the exile, the decline of the nation of Israel. The Old Testament tells that overall story. Then it offers the writings of the exodus of the kings, etc., David, uh, Psalms, and Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. And then it offers the writings of the exile, the major prophets and the minor prophets. That's why the book of Nehemiah is found actually in the middle 
of the Old Testament journey. Nehemiah is, uh, is a Jewish man who is in exile in an area that is now Persia. And so the uh, people of God are exiled by the Assyrians and then by the Babylonians, and eventually uh, they are actually occupied by uh, Persia. And so the king of Persia is prompted by God to allow Nehemiah to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. And so this is the story that we find ourselves in. And in chapter 8, I think we find a pathway to joy that is relatable to most of us here. And this pathway is the idea of learning, being moved, and rejoicing. Learning, being moved, rejoicing. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. Right now, here we're in chapter 8, and the chapters prior to that are the story of Nehemiah rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. And then in chapter 8, in the first day of the seventh month, thousands of people who had been rebuilding the walls, the Jewish people who had returned to Jerusalem, they gather around to hear the word of the Lord, to, to read from the book of the law. Now, they did not have the Bible the way we have it. Obviously, it hadn't been written yet. The story was still happening. But what they most likely had was the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the books that are typically accredited, accredited to Moses, the beginning of our Old Testament. So they are reading those books together, and I want to look at that story together in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 5. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them, and as he opened it, the people all stood up. Would you stand? Would you stand? Let's, let's kind of recreate this moment here. Let's stand in reverence to the Word of God as I continue to read this section. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen. 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 Nice work. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You can skip that part. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Palaliah. See, that's why no one wants to read the Old Testament. <laughs> it's those verses that if you're, as, you're going around in a circle, you're the one who's going to get stuck with verse 7, for sure. You can just kind of mumble through that. I practiced for about seven hours this week, so we're good. They instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You may be seated. Let me just read once again. I want to back up and read verse 8. And I want to read uh, verse 8 and then verse 9 and verse 10 uh, in order for the rest of our morning here. 
Verse 8, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. That's basically my job description. With the honor that I have to be pastor here at this church, that's what I aspire to do. Our gathering here, our Sunday morning experience, is not about you having to tolerate my thoughts and my opinions. Who cares about my thoughts and my opinions? Please don't evaluate me or another teacher here as a part of your uh, church experience here at Mountain Park based on our ability to be brilliant. If you've been here for very long, you'll know that doesn't happen very often. That doesn't happen. Okay, please, please at any time, however, evaluate me or another spiritual leader, your, your D group leader, whomever in your life, please feel free at any time to evaluate somebody who's pouring into you spiritually based on his or her ability to help you understand this. That that is what we are to do. That's what is clearly happening in verse 8. Uh, reading it and explaining what it means. May it be grounded in the rock, in the Word of God. So what they're doing here in verse 8 is they are learning. They are gathering and they are learning about who God is, what He's asking them to do, what He's asking them not to do, how He's asking them to live a life of holiness, to be noticeably different in a world that is not embracing the ways of God. So, and with connection to verse 8, in what way are you intentionally learning more about God? What steps are you taking to continue your growth in your knowledge of who God is and what, he, what He's calling for you? Now, first of all, you're here. You're here. That's a great step. But I encourage you to continue to think about our gathering as, a, as something that you can commit to and not just kind of pop in when you're in town kind of thing or the once-a-month deal. That we grow and we get stronger when we are committed to a consistent gathering of learning together. But it does not stop on Sunday morning. It is absolutely not limited to Sunday morning. In what way are you committed to continuing to learn throughout the week about who your God is and what He's, what he's challenging you toward? Are you reading your Bible? This story in, in Nehemiah, in fact, most of Nehemiah has been part of our Bible reading plan this week. For those of you who have been following that, it's on the website, mountainpark.org, and right on the home page it says Bible reading plan. You can jump in at any time and read along with us and at least have some kind of accountability that we are moving through this together and we are walking through it together as a staff and may we do it together. Some do it in, in groups and, and such. May we kind of do this together. If you don't have a Bible reading plan, please feel free to jump in with us. What about intentional conversations all, along the way? Intentional ways for you to learn from one another, to have lunch after church or whatever and just say, hey, what, where are you with that? What's going on? How is this going on with you? Or the questions that are part of the sheet I handed you on, on the way in here. And, um, how are you continuing to learn and to, to make this become more a part of your life? Because when we don't understand the story, the whole shebang, the overall story of who God is, when we don't understand how the Old Testament led toward the person of Jesus, how the New Testament describes and explains Jesus' story and how the past uh, thousands of years have brought us to this place, it's difficult for us to understand what our role is in the story. If we don't understand the story, how are we supposed to fully understand what our role is in the story? So verse 8 is about learning. Let me jump to verse 9 then. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, 
This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. So they're learning. They're gathering around and they're learning. They're being told what the law is, how God wants us to live life. And as they realized how far they've drifted from what God has called for them, they begin weeping and they feel the heaviness of it. They don't defend themselves. They don't say, you know, that was written a long time ago. They don't rationalize their actions. They don't blame it on previous generations. They don't blame it on their parents, on their predecessors. They don't try to reshape or or rework the parameters that God has set aside to say, you know, now in this time, it's different, and so we can get by with different things or get by with more things. No, they embrace it, and they weep, and they are moved. They are moved by it. They feel it. It's not enough to just learn about God's parameters and who God is. That's, that's just not enough to say, oh, I guess what I'm doing is sin, is not right. Oh, well, sure I'm glad God is gracious, and we move on. No, there's this step of being moved, of being willing to change. That's the dangerous part. Safe place to visit, dangerous place to stay. The dangerous part is that is moving beyond learning and getting to this point of, wow, I'm not sure I want God to have access to that part of my life. It's being moved in every area of our lives. That, that this is a process. Just keep in mind, this is a process towards joy. And so sometimes there's a natural leaning for us to want to ignore the problems and the bad stuff, and that'll allow us to experience more joy. And it's kind of natural to kind of go in that direction. But I think Scripture consistently says that's not going to work. We've got to deal with our stuff head on. We've got to deal with it like a man, like a woman, like an adult. Sometimes uh, uh, teenagers have a hard time dealing with their stuff honestly. I know I did. I, absolutely, I didn't know how to talk about what was going on and what I was struggling with and what was going on. I just had no clue how to do that. I've shared the story before, but when I was 13, my mom left our family. And with, with about two months after that, I was arrested for demolishing a bus stop with a ski pole. I grew up in uh, Edmonton. You're snickering. I don't laugh when you tell me the times you've been in jail. Uh, <laughs> So, grew up in Canada, and, and in uh, Edmonton, they had ski, hole, ski uh, hills right in the city. And I would take the bus with all my ski equipment, and I would ski. About five days a week, I would ski uh, right in the city there, and then get on the bus and go home. And one day, it was cold, and the bus was taking longer than I wanted it to take. Or I think it, perhaps I just missed the bus. And while I was waiting, I took my ski pole, and I leveled the bus stop. I mean, I broke every glass, demolished the whole bus stop all around me. Then the bus came. And I climbed on the bus. And so that's when a police officer came over and said, excuse me, um, you're not allowed to do that. So they have all these rules in Canada. <laughs> limitations, limitations, limitations. I didn't understand. And there was the police officer who helped me under, who, who talked me through and didn't put me in the back of the car, put me in the front. And, and, and I shared, you know, my, my mom. And he just started asking me about my life. And he, he kind of put those pieces together. And I didn't understand. I had no clue that that's what I was doing. I really had no idea. Sometimes we act like spiritual teenagers. 
in our unwillingness to be honest about what's happening in the private areas of our lives. Or their inability to, to talk truthfully about it, to deal with it, to bring it out in the open, to have a group of people that we actually trust with our stuff so that we can shed light into areas so that we can be moved enough by what's happening in our lives that we can move through that towards joy. That ignoring our problems, ignoring our sins, ignoring the ways that we dishonor God, it doesn't make them go away. It doesn't make them go away. That's not the path to joy. The path to joy requires us to deal with it, to talk about it, to be moved by it, to be honest with it. Learn, be moved. You may have noticed in that verse 9 that Nehemiah says, today, don't weep. Which is really interesting because the weeping and the, and the, and the fact that they are moved by uh, how they have broken the laws of God, that's a significant and wonderful part of their journey. But Nehemiah says, today, don't weep. I mentioned before that this is happening in the first day of the seventh month. We find that in verse 2 of chapter 8. And that day is significant. That is actually, the, in the Jewish calendar, that's the New Year's. New Year's, for some reason, lands on month number 7. And it's their New Year's celebration. It's referred to as the Festival of Trumpets. And what happens is they would take a ram's horn, and multiple people would take multiple ram's horns, and, and they would blow these things, and then at midnight they would greet each other with a holy kiss. I don't know about the last part, but I know about the horns. And it was a party that this seventh month was the big month of partying for the Jewish people. In fact, the festival of trumpets was just a setup for the big day, which is the tenth day, in the seventh month in the Jewish calendar. And that day is referred to as Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And this was the biggest day of celebration in the Jewish calendar. This one day a year, one day, all of the, the Jewish people would gather around the temple, and on that one day, all of the sins of all of the people for the entire year would be put on a lamb, and there would be forgiveness for all the people. There would be a complete spiritual, moral cleansing of all that was happening on there. The tenth day of the seventh month was a major party, a party that they looked forward to. It was the day of forgiveness. It was the day of atonement. It was a big day. So when do we get to rejoice like that? I mean, are we, supposed to, are, we, are we missing out on our New Year's celebration? I mean, New Year's is about having a clean slate and new resolutions and, and I'm going to start fresh and I've never made a mistake in 2013 yet and so I'm going to jump into this and, and there's kind of a freshness there. Is that when we should take advantage of this picture of Yom Kippur? Because of Easter... Because of what Jesus did on the cross, by paying for the debt, the penalty, the mistakes, the sins of all of us for all time, we don't have to wait for that glorious moment on the 10th day of the 11th month. We can rejoice any day of the year. We can rejoice in the midst of anything that's going on. We can rejoice because Jesus has saved us all from our sins. It doesn't matter what you've done. 
It doesn't matter what you did as a teenager and maybe this weight that you've been carrying with you for many years. It doesn't matter what you did as a young adult. It doesn't matter what you are doing as a citizen of Phoenix or of Chandler here in 2013. There is nothing that is weightier than what Christ paid for on the cross. There's nothing that cannot be forgiven if we come before God with a contrite heart, as we've talked about earlier in our holiness journey, with a contrite heart being, being moved by the reality that we break the Father's heart when we go against what He has for us. You can be forgiven for anything. Anything. It doesn't matter how far or how long you have strayed, perhaps. God will continue to pursue you for your whole life. He loves you immeasurably, and He wants to bring you back to your Jerusalem. Remember, they've been exiled for a long time, and God had plans to bring them back to their promised land, back to the place where their hearts wanted to be. You can return to the place that your heart truly wants to be and rejoice. Let me read verse 10. Nehemiah said, Go. And enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Learn, be moved, and rejoice. Now, perhaps there are some of you who. You're having a hard time with the rejoice piece because you're having a hard time embracing the fact that God enjoys you, that God delights in you. Maybe even in this holiness journey, you've kind of heard about holiness and about us falling short of the mark and, and being honest about our imperfections and the weight of all that and the weight of our sin. And so maybe in the midst of all that, you're kind of thinking in the back of your mind, does God even like me? Yeah, there's a plan and Jesus has a plan and all, but does God even like, does He enjoy me? Think back to when you were a teenager. How important was it for you to feel or know that your parents liked you. How important was it to hear from your parents, well done, I am proud of you. It's a big deal. I don't care who you are or what family you grew up in or what kind of mess was a part of your family of origin. You wanted to hear that or how tough you were on the outside. You wanted to hear that. It's a natural need and a desire for us. But unfortunately, many of us just heard learn and be moved. Many of us just learn, listen to what I'm saying, pay attention to what I'm saying, and be moved. You better understand the weight of what you've done. Learn and be moved. Learn and be moved. Now you're off to college. And how many of us, perhaps at times when we needed it, missed out on the rejoice part, on the need to just be loved, to, to rejoice, to be delighted in by our parents? Teenagers in, in our culture, in our time, are under tremendous pressure. I was just talking with Beth this week, kind of getting a picture from her more in our, with regard to our student ministries in terms of the pressure that students are experiencing now. It's amazing how much pressure they're experiencing. It's not, it's not good enough to be good here in this community. You've got to be the best. That you've got to have multiple honors classes in high school 
so that you can get college credit so that you can finish college in three years because it's too expensive to cover all four years. All that weight is put on the shoulders of a 14-year-old. And, but then at the, at the same time, you've got to be great at a sport. Pick a sport, and then you've got to be great at it. Not just, not just do it. You've got to be great at it. And then you've got to volunteer a lot on the side because you need to be a well-rounded person. There's a tremendous amount of pressure that's being put on students. For those of you who are parents of teens, are you pleased with your kids? Are you just flat out thrilled with them? Are you pleased with them? Or do you, by the way you encourage them, do you add to the pressure that the culture is already putting on them? Are there times where you periodically say, like Nehemiah, today, don't weep, don't worry. Today, we're just going to rejoice. You don't need to prove yourself to me at all. I delight in you. I enjoy you. Because that's what our Father wants to say to us, whether we're adults or we're spiritual teenagers. That's what our Father wants to say to us. Don't weep. Don't worry. Today you can rejoice. Jesus has paid it all. You don't have to prove yourself to me. There's nothing you can do to prove yourself to me. I delight in you. I enjoy you. I love you. Let me close with one more question. And this is, this is actually kind of a fun question. What's the greatest thing about you? That's a fun question, right? What's the greatest thing about you? Is it your smile? Is it your sense of humor? Is it your ability to text? Is it your ability to text while driving? Okay. Cross that one off the list. Is it your ability to get up and exercise and be done before the sun even comes up? <laughs> What's the greatest thing about you? In our vernacular, we use this phrase to say, blank is his strength. Now we say, organization is her strength. Creativity is his strength. And what we mean when we say that is that that is the greatest thing about that person. That at least in that moment, as we're thinking about that person, right now, that's the greatest thing I can think of for that person. Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Your understanding and absorbing of how much God loves you and delights in you and sacrifice for you is the greatest thing about you. It's the greatest thing about you. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are a pursuer of holiness, this should be the greatest thing about you, the joy of the Lord that you experience in good days and in bad days. That there should be people around us who are experiencing the same things that we're experiencing, the same traffic jam on the way to work, the same weather, whatever the situations might be, yet they are looking and, and seeing that you are noticeably different because of the joy of the Lord. I think it is a reasonable measurement of our holiness because this should be the greatest thing about us, about you, is the joy of the Lord. That we shouldn't walk out our days with the pressure of trying to please God with all that we're doing and all the, oh, I made another mistake today. 
We shouldn't be carrying the pressure of that. We should be continually learning and growing, moved by our understanding of how we've offended God, and then rejoicing by the love and the grace and the forgiveness that He so freely offers. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's the greatest thing about you. Typically, we finish with... um, a number of different options we call stations here in the room. But today, we're just going to sing one song together. And the band's going to come up and lead us in this. And um, you may have brought in plenty of reasons to weep or to mourn today. But here in this moment, regardless of what you're, the heaviness that you're experiencing right now, here in this moment, just like Nehemiah said to the folks, right now, do not weep. Right now, rejoice in the Lord. The joy of the Lord, may it be your greatest strength right now here in this place. So as we sing one song, I want to ask if you would stand. Would you just stand where you are? And Tommy, would you turn it up to 11? <laughs> Band, we've, you were kind of warming up at 930. Now I want you to hit harder. I mean, I want you to go for it. How about no, not even a capo. Let's just get crazy. Okay, let's, one song, just experience it, just let it aside and experience the joy of the Lord. Let me, let me pray with you as the band gets started here. God, thank you for your love for us. As this song says, you give and take away. There are good moments, there are bad moments, but in the midst of it all, we can celebrate who you are. So God, allow us to just kind of break through all the reasons to weep and to mourn so that right here in this place, we can rejoice and celebrate that you are our God. Jesus' name, amen.